0: Welcome back to Let's Talk Valium podcast series. It's an honor for me today to welcome Dr. Zev Newworth. Hi, Zev.
1: Hey there, Verena, it's such a pleasure. It's so great to see you again.
0: Yes, exactly, great to have a couple of uh, coming backers, that's not good English, but anyway, and uh, particularly honored today because we're gonna talk about Zev's new book. But before I get there, quick reminder for those who are first to dial in or zoom in or listen in. My name is Verena Volter. I'm the CEO and founder of 5P Healthcare Solutions, a boutique consulting firm that tries and helps to uh, have all these people work together better than we talk about, that are along the patient journey and the value chain, patients, provider, pharma, payer, policy, and I've also authored a book around this, It Takes Five to Tangle, but that is not the topic today. I'm really excited because Zev's first book, Reframing Healthcare, was a big um, yeah, role model, an example for me when I wrote my book, but also for this podcast series. And I don't know if I've ever told you, Zev, but mm. you were also a role model for us with your podcast series, which I think is now going into 150 episodes, if my counting is correct.
1: 158th next or 159th next week yeah
0: okay so we're just about hitting 50 not quite today but close so we're following suit <laughs> so thank you very much and I think um I really want to kick us off with the title and I, I by the way I need for those who are watching I need to show this book beyond the walls so as I I think in our previous prep chat I mentioned to you, the Wall from Pink Floyd is actually an example I'm using in my teaching and in the oh, book wow. in terms of bargaining and negotiation when I'm helping, you know, negotiation uh, among the five Ps in healthcare. So I'm always using The Wall, the vinyl Pink Floyd. Um, yeah. This, So I have a personal connection to your title, but you'll tell us a little bit. How did you come about this title? And then we'll talk about the book, what's in it.
1: Yeah, I had been, and again, thank you for having me on today. It's it's actually so much fun and such a pleasure speaking with you again. Um, I um, I had written the book, and I could talk. We obviously will talk more about that, but I had a title which was called a working title, which was "The Future of Healthcare is Here and Now," and you know that sort of is a descriptive or one way to describe the book. But I didn't really like it, and then. Um, one early morning, it was probably about three thirty in the morning. I woke up and I remembered a book I had read, and I could not remember the title. I could not remember the author. I could just remember a yellow book. So I went through the house, tore the house apart, looking for this book. Literally at like three thirty in the morning, and then you know, finally, you know, at sunrise, the book was sitting like right in front of me all the time. This yellow book, and it was a book uh, by Jim McKelvey, who was the person who invented Square it's that that little plastic thing that you stick into your phone and you swipe your credit card so he developed that and he's that was his first entrepreneurial endeavor he actually was a glass blower and he needed he was trying to solve a problem how do i uh, help my customers pay me um and that's what he created and then from there he um he became a serial entrepreneur and he wrote this book it was i think published in 2020 and i'd read it when it just had come out and in this Book, he in chapter one, he describes entrepreneurs and that entrepreneurial spirit. And he said, I want you all to imagine what life was like in medieval times. And imagine the city of Edinburgh. And it was surrounded like many other cities at that time in the dark ages and medieval times. It was surrounded by a great wall. And everyone lived inside of those walls. And he said, you know, it was there were few people who decided that there was something that they had to they had to get beyond the walls and that they had to to discover you know new things and it was those people that really pushed uh, the limits and and really brought us out of the dark ages and so i reread that in fact i i quote that in the pref in the intro and to the book and um and it's this notion of beyond now the one thing about beyond the walls which i think is really important to share is that as i've been talking about the book lately People have said instead outside the walls and beyond does not mean outside, Um, you know, beyond is, and I specifically wrote beyond as opposed to outside the walls, because there are people inside of legacy healthcare, as well as outside of legacy healthcare that are really transforming healthcare and they're going beyond the walls beyond actually is a transcendent phenomena. It, oh, yeah. it, it it means making the walls irrelevant, going beyond and above, um, superseding, supplanting. And, and th- that's really what I mean by beyond the walls.
0: And I like, because there I'm going to cite a few quotes oh. from your book along as we go, but there's one really that is transcending the walls of the past. And that is really something I think we're going to allude to. And if I may, for the audience, I want to read something just from also from the from the intro, this is a collection of heroic journeys, so the book, with real life characters whose stories encourage and embolden us not to be held hostage to the mindset, behaviors, and inertia of the past. And I, I really like this, that you're like, in your sense, as you're describing the beyond, being inclusive with today and what's inside and outside. But So building the bridge to the theme, I know that you're standing for value-based healthcare, but also the theme obviously of this podcast. So what does actually value and value generation mean for you in healthcare before we dive more into the book per se?
1: Well, I, I think it's really, you know, it's really quite basic and quite tangible. So, you know, the truth is that healthcare today and I'm borrowing this from the hundreds and hundreds of interviews and the, the decade of research I've been doing in this area. But you know, healthcare today in America and across the globe is more complicated, more confusing, more costly than it's ever been. And it's getting worse. And, you know, when you talk about really, really basic stuff like access to care, care that's convenient and doable for most people. Um, you know, the, the unaffordability of care. I mean, and this isn't like a, 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 you know, a small factor or affecting, you know, you know, a few million people, uh, you know, who don't have insurance. What we're talking about is healthcare, and let's just keep it to the United States for the moment, healthcare in, in the United States is unaffordable for the majority of Americans, working Americans and their families. Um, we know that literally it will take one major hospitalization or one major disease and you will be bankrupt. Um, okay. You know, the medical debt in this country is the number one cause of family and personal debt. Um, and the statistics are are so overwhelming. So the cost, you know, access, you know, again, whether it's access to primary care, preventive care, or, or access to specialty care I- is getting worse and worse. And it's going to continue down that, that path unless we do something about it. And in terms of the complexity of it, um,
0: and so the you know, value, what is then like what your, I mean, you started it a while ago with reframing healthcare, your first book yes. and now beyond the wall. So what like for the audience, what, because mm-hmm. we talk a lot about value and yeah. nobody knows really what that means. So in your, in your view and what you're describing in the book, what would well, be the best approximation?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not the best at definitions, but I, you know, I think that the realities are there you know the bottom line is we have to make healthcare more accessible and mm-hmm. and more affordable and more mm-hmm. effective um you, you know cuz in the end here's the bottom line in the end this is not about healthcare in the end this is about our health right yes. and and we we in healthcare forget that cuz healthcare is so important to us and rightly so but the output of healthcare is not healthcare the output of healthcare is yes. health i love it and right and the value proposition here would be actually I mean, when we actually start to see health improving and that includes the healthcare experience I would add as well, Um, you know, it's, and I think value, I'll I'll say one more thing about it. The value proposition is different for different. I don't think that there's a, yes, like I just said, a a broad definition or broad conceptualization, but it's also different. I mean, one of the, I think one of the tragedies and crisis and and we are in an existential crisis here. One of the crisis is, is really about, look, you look at older uh, Americans, frail elderly, um, which is the fastest growing segment of the population, already at about sixty-five million, soon to be you know seventy-five million, and this this demographic is going to continue to explode over the next four or five decades. So this is not a, like a little blip, you know. Uh, America is aging, and it will age over the next four or five decades, and that's true for the worldwide population as well. And then you ask the question: Well, given that, and given that we know that the healthcare problems of you know, older folks and elderly, they're different than younger folks. Well, I would ask you all who who are in healthcare organizations, what is your senior strategy? What, do, do you have a senior care strategy? I mean, if you tell me that I, as an 85 year old on, on 12 or 15 medications, if you tell me that I, I'll walk into the same exact office as a 35 year old with the same doctor and the same staff and the same protocols and the same resources, you're kidding me, right? I mean, yeah. there's no way that you're going to deliver the right care to that that older person, that frail elderly. I would say the same thing about women's health. You know, yeah. um And I, I think
0: I, uh, what you're we're alluding to is actually great what what I wanted to point out also for the yeah. audience in the book and I'm going to show the book again is really your three domains that I, that I really love. And I would love yeah. us to briefly touch on one of the middle points of each of them. So literal, okay. conceptual, and systemic. Because I think, and maybe we'll start a little bit by the back end, because you were talking about the elderly population, about women's health. So yeah. it's really kind of that notion of a health that you said, you know, in terms of that's the value we need to work on. But in your in your third bucket, you talk about what I also explained, like health happens at home. So it's really this whole notion that hospitals are important for certain very acute and episodic care and nobody will argue that. Right. But we do have an issue of that sector much too big. And what you said, you know, it's not it's not tailored enough to the needs of that person in wherever they're in their life, elderly or women or whatever. So can you tell us a little bit more how you describe that actually in your book in terms of customized contextual and whole health care? Mm-hmm you know, how do you, what are some of the key nuggets yeah. that you, um, explain yeah. to us in the book? So,
1: so 30 and maybe seconds, maybe an
0: example too. <laughs>
1: I will, I will. And 30 seconds. So when we talk about beyond the walls, as you've just pointed out that, that diagram in the introduction. So there's basically three domains. These are the three critical synergistic strategies that are transforming American healthcare, and we need to double down on them. We need to realize them. The first is the digital revolution, which most Mm -hmm. people don't understand and is critically important. The second one is the humanistic revolution. And the third one is the market revolution. And this is how organizations are partnering in new and different ways and the whole platform revolution, which is a huge topic, which is reality. And most people have no understanding of what's happening. And I explain that in the third section. So those are the three domains or the three critical strategies. The one you were just referencing was the middle one, which I think is mm-hmm. the most important one <laughs> is the humanistic revolution. And again, this is not theory or conjecture. This is, you know, this is happening today. I, I point it out and highlight it because we need to understand that if we don't focus on this, we could have all the digital technology we want and all the market, you know, power we want. Where we're going is probably going to be back into the dark ages, um, mm-hmm. just more tech-enabled. And you know, it, this is what a lot of experts talk about. A lot of people I interview and talk about um, are concerned that that we're actually heading into a dystopian future in healthcare. I don't believe that. I'm cautiously optimistic. But the reason the middle section is about the humanistic revolution, and I share example after example after example of that, is because leaders must understand that it is the centerpiece and everything else we do has to be led by that. And that's, I think that's key. You mentioned the a couple of things, one of which is the contextual and whole health, right? Now, mm-hmm. when I say contextual, most people say, okay, I, I know what that word means. I'm not talking about that word. I'm talking about actually a, a, a new area, a new field that 20 years of science and research uh, two people in particular at the VA um, have literally been two decades of highly published evidence-based medicine. They've published multiple books on this as well. And they've discovered 12 contextual factors that you must understand as a provider as an insurer, as a medical device manufacturer, as a policy person, these, you know, we talk about the social determinants of health, which are critical, but those are macro factors. You know, it is very, very challenging and it requires a big, big effort over a lot of time to change education, to change employment, to change literally the infrastructure of communities, uh, transportation, you know, even food security, housing. These are macro factors. There's a whole other side of it, which no one is really understanding, except these two scientists have put it on the map. And actually now it is embedded in an AI tech enabled uh, company. And these are contextual factors which change day to day, hour to hour. They they are 12 of them. Again, 6,000 patient encounters over the past 20 years that they deeply researched to decipher these 12 contextual factors. If you don't, understand these, if you don't look for these, if you don't solve for these, you will not achieve half of what you can as a provider or payer. And, and again, I can give examples of that, but, but that is a, a that's what I mean by contextual. And I have a whole chapter in the book about yes. contextual care, as you know.
0: Yes, And that, that is truly revolutionary. Truly. It, it's somehow basic, but I think it's not happening in reality. So thank no. you for, for guiding us and for telling us and sharing all the other you know, ways where this has been largely published and already tested, piloted and implemented.
1: And and absolutely. And it's all about operationalizing it and using yes. using the technology of, of digital and automation to really make it doable and cost-effective. And then you mentioned the whole health movement. That's a whole, as you know, a whole other chapter in the book. And again, this isn't just like talk or theory or a nice thing to do. Um, there are a number of different whole health or whole person movements happening in the country. The one I wrote about extensively um, in uh, chapter six of the book in the humanistic section is the whole health movement at the VA. And again, it's remarkable that two chapters in my book come out of the VA. Most people, and I've now done repeated interviews with people there. In fact, I'm I'm hoping to interview uh, one of the senior leaders in the national VA uh, soon. But um over the past few years, they've begun to implement a whole health movement, which is very, very specific, very operational. And what they've done is they've widened the aperture. So instead of just focusing on what's the matter with you, they ask the question, what matters to you? And they've embedded that question literally in their in their clinical care module in so many different ways. This is a national movement within the VA Um, It is so well-established and so well-regarded that the Surgeon General, this past January, wrote an article about the VA's whole health movement, and he said that that should become a cornerstone of the American public health policy and public health service. And not, not only that, in the same month, in January of 2023, The what used to be called the Institute of Medicine, which is now the National Academy of of Science and Engineering and Medicine, they come out with a 400 page report, 400 page report. And basically what the summary of it is that they studied this whole health movement in the VA and they're recommending to Congress that uh, Congress set up a institute, a center, just like CMMI to do research and study on the deployment of the whole health movement, not just in the VA, but in the entire American healthcare system. And it is, it basically gets down to this point that we are not widgets. Okay. We patients aren't widgets, um, and doctors are, and, and and providers aren't machines. We are conscious human beings. And if we don't have a sense of purpose and meaning, and if we're not engaged on that level, it's unlikely that anything's going to really work well. And so they touch that first and they t- ask the question. What's really important to you in your life, and how do Mm -hmm. we connect to that? And it, the way they do it, and the sophistication and the operationalization of it is a thing to behold. And I spent a whole chapter talking about that,
0: yeah. And I think this is really also what I perceive your personal red thread. You're always talking about the humanistic part of it, right? That's it, it, it's very strongly in stare, and it's basically to the essence of our medical. DNA, who we are as physicians, and we just forgotten in our day jobs with all the other wrong incentives that I, <laughs> and, you know, um, administrative work we need to do. But I want to share again, a couple of quotes that I think go along those lines. There's one really, it's so simple. It's shocking on page 101. Why don't you find out more about a person before you tell them what they should be doing? And I think we all have experiences ourselves or with beloved ones, the paternalistic culture, and it goes in the direction of the humanistic and what you said, we should you know, ask people what, what actually matters to them. And before I want to ask you a little bit about the, the four-step guide or the checklist, I also want to say something that you put really the finger on where it hurts. Mm. You speak about a blind spot of what happens when the patient returns home. So it's really kind of the intersections and it's a different perspective on the health continuum, the whole holistic, you know, Mm -hmm. whole health movement. But Mm -hmm. I think it's also those, we have all those silos in healthcare among us, the five P, but also along the patient journey. It's a, it's, 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 it's only a journey of walls, right. That the journey that the patient needs to jump over. So I think if you um, can tell us a little bit about, you know, that, that, four-step guide, if you may, or we don't need to go into details, but I want to share to the audience that your book does have some really practical and detailed and examples on, A, to learn from what happens practically and not only theory and, you know, 10,000 feet view, but they're really also a couple of checklists and guides, which I think make it really practical for the reader if they want to go back and try something out new.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've put in a, a few in there, um, you know, I was just thinking about one. I, I have a a graphic, and and in chapter nine, uh, it's uh it's called the superpowers and secret sauces of of hospital systems, and it's uh, it's really speaking to what hospital systems can do to to sort of shift from being disrupted to being the disruptors. And I mean disruption in a good way, to disrupting the status quo and advancing healthcare. But you know, and and, and maybe, Verena, I'll I'll let you pick the ones you think. I, I think the whole book is practical because it's basically example yes. after example. Of people who were actually transforming healthcare, you could literally lift the ideas from each of those. Pick any one you want, um, or you could actually, you know, look them up and 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 go follow them or or, or partner with them. Many of them, or, but there are many many examples of things that organizations and provider groups uh, can be doing. I do want to say one thing though, based on what you said a moment ago about physicians and providers. I want to be very, very clear. And I know you agree with me on this. Um, You know, this book is not about what's wrong in American healthcare. I I really purposely did not dwell on what's wrong or the problems because hopefully, you know, they're well-established. You say it,
0: break free from the spiraling negativity.
1: Exactly. Break free. I love that. And um, so this book. (laughs) <laughs> this book is thank you. Thank you. Uh, this book is about what's right in American healthcare and what we should be doing more of. That's what the book's about. And the one thing I want to say about physicians and providers and nurses and PAs and and administrators and everyone in healthcare, I am in awe of the work uh, that we all do and you all do. And um, and you know, the truth is, the system is not working for you. Um, and I and that is, I'm saying that definitively when 50% of all doctors and nurses are burnt out and that's not like a fancy term that's a scientific term when 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 you're demoralized that you know there are articles after articles by incredible experts calling this moral injury moral injury right it's it's not just burnout that morally injured that's a term that was taken from the military mm-hmm. it's the experience that soldiers have when they go and they fight and they are in, engaged in you know in things that they thought they never would be or should be, and you know, are literally in a moral existential crisis after the fact, and they're applying this to physicians now and nurses, and that's serious. And so, when we see this kind of damage um, to providers who have are so dedicated, so passionate, so smart, so committed, um, I mean, I, I again, I am in awe of the people in healthcare when we see this sort of damage, and again, it's not to 5% or 10%, we're talking about the majority of us in healthcare, when you see this sort of burnout, this moral injury, um, you have to understand that the system is not working for anyone. Maybe it's working for a few people who are making a lot of money off of it, I don't know. Um, I, I just don't think that's justified. And so I think we have to change the system. We are in an existential crisis and I've decided instead of talking about the problem or dissecting the problem, I've decided to look at the divergent people who are actually creating solutions. And because um, I think that's how we that's how we get to the the solution is by, you know, there's a phrase. And thank
0: you. so And thank you so much for really being so clear on you and really outspoken. And I think I guess there is a commonality on your motivation, my motivation, why we do this for our peer group, for patients, for anybody in the system. And I really like what you say. Um, People working within healthcare have an intrinsic motivation to serve others. And we really need to pull that back to the surface because as you said, it's with all the other thing, um, you know, that's, that's going on. And, and people, as you say, it does, the system doesn't serve those people that want to do good and serve others. So, and this is, I think why you and I and many, many others join forces. We have to, continue and change the system towards more humanistic and patient-centered work and I think what Steve Glasgow says in his testimonial being optimistic about where it can go is I think really what this book is about and I think again the practicalities for the reader I think is important I want to lead us towards closing Mm -hmm. out too and that's always the problem with these sessions right they're always (laughs) too short (laughs) Um, But really, you know, obviously also full circle with what we do and I do at 5P is like helping bridge all those different interests along the way because they might be some of the root causes on why it's so broken, why the costs go up and people burn out. So you speak about really the mindset shift that needs to happen. So, yes, we need to help and put all the guardrails and rules and regulations in place, Mm -hmm. policy, whatnot, payment models. But we also need to accompany the mindset shift it's different to be collaborative in the ingoing intention than to say, I want to safeguard my bargaining power and make the most profit out of it. And this is how we've been trained and grew up in the system, fee mm-hmm. for service. You sell services, that's your incentive. Well, then you sell services. You don't mm-hmm. look at the patient. So any, any you know, last comments around novel partnerships? How do we do this, create new partnerships and work with people we are not used to work with in the old system? So you know, because I know the theme of partnership and mindset is really important for you, and it comes through in the book. Anything mm-hmm. you want to share on those well, notes?
1: Yeah, no, thank you for asking. I, I mean, again, I have a whole chapter on the novel partnerships and collaborations, and very, very concrete example after example after example. In fact, I have a a, a chart with you know sort of the categories of new partnerships. Uh, you know, one example is you know the idea that you know in the past hospitals would have to merge with each other or one had to acquire another one to come together what we're seeing now is really novel partnerships between hospital systems where they're saying no let's come together on on a new startup or you know or one focal idea um you know whether it's like hospital at home or home based care or you know virtual care let's pool our resources and in fact you're starting to see coalitions of hospitals come together you know a great example is civica rx i mean which is revolutionary, right? It's basically a a number of hospitals that got together and they said, you know what? We're not gonna be held hostage by the pharmaceutical industry. We're gonna start to actually manufacture generic medications and, you know, get them to patients uh, at a lower cost. It's, you know, it's kind of like Mark Cuban's thing, but it came before Mark Cuban, uh, his cost plus uh, company. And it's absolutely brilliant and they are doing exceptionally well and they're growing and they're, you know, really making generic medications and now they're getting into even non-generic medications, I think, available to the American public and to a huge swath of the American public. So that's an example of a collaboration. uh, And again, there's a couple of others that are like it. uh, Truvetta was one where the, you know uh, a number of hospital systems come together to pool their data instead of selling their data separately or or someone buying their data, and they're saying no, let's use this for for real science and research and to really help people. Um, and let's keep it within our you know, our healthcare systems. There's a new one called graph- Graphite Health, which is looking at, you know, it's very hard for, comp- for hospitals to really understand digital and acquire digital companies and evaluate digital companies. It's, you know, there's so many out there. So they, they're saying, well, let's get, you know, hospital systems in a collaborative together. Let's pool our resources so that we can actually, and even work with some vendors to really understand how do we evaluate this whole new digital revolution and these digital companies? So that's just one category but I have multiple categories in chapter nine, which really explains these novel collaborations and I can go on and on about it.
0: No, but I think it's great. And I like what you said, like around one focal idea, because I think this is also what makes it then practical and simple. And maybe that's tips and tricks for people as of tomorrow to start thinking, just start with one thing around one idea and then see. And I like the second thing that you said, pull the resources. So really kind of, you know, you can't know it all, so look with, you know, you said, be it a digital startup, be it a manufacturing, you know, medicines, whatever it is, your idea, and then pull in the people because, you know, no one can do it along, alone along the 5 P value chain and i think we're even in europe now we're seeing more and more actually novel partnerships that involve not only health system but a pair right and i know in the, in this country in the us it has been going on for a while but it's spreading you know like wildfire outside also to like really have cross sector novel partnerships around one focal idea i really want to That's retain right. that um, right. and pull the resources. And I want to throw in a third maybe dimension mm-hmm. that we've learned from mm-hmm. the pandemic is sharing risks, right? That's yes. that's the power of the novel partnerships because you don't need to carry all the cost and the risk. You can actually share it maybe with others. So I think uh,
1: uh, no, you're well, you know even CINs are an example,, uh, you know, clinical clinically integrated networks are an example of that. but I think I think they're going I think we're going to see beyond CINs. and some of the partnerships that are emerging right now that I'm aware of, most people most people can't even imagine or haven't even heard of yet. So lots going on.
0: Thanks for sharing all those real examples from your up to 150 podcasts and, and uh, conversations beyond your podcast. So Zev, before we close, any last comments you want to um, hand over to our audience that are listening in, be it physicians, hospital, um, administrators, we have yeah. pharmaceutical company leaders, startups, Uh, Anything you want to share as words of encouragement other than read your book?
1: Yeah, no. Uh, You know, I think the thing I want to point out is that um, I think the journey I've been on and the book that I wrote is really a lesson in learned hopefulness. And I think that most providers, most leaders are really stuck in learned helplessness right now in healthcare across the board. It's like, what can I do? What can we do, et cetera? And you know, this has been a very, very personal journey for me. Um, I I think I could have been like many of my colleagues jaded and burnt out, um, and really pessimistic about the future. I'm not, I honestly am unbelievably hopeful and optimistic. And the reason is because I've learned hopefulness and now I'm sharing it, um, in the book.
0: Thank you so much. Dr. Zeph Newworth. Thank you. Karina. Bye-bye.